praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I'm going to move this microphone out of the way just a moment so I don't get feedback. And, and I tend to move my hands a little bit, which means uh, I would likely knock it over. But uh, nonetheless, good morning, everyone. It's good to see Pillar Church here this morning. And once again, I'm Alex Chapman. I'm a member as well as an elder here. And today we're going to be studying out of the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And while you're uh, you know, going there, I just uh, wanted to go down through a quick recap. So we're in the book of Romans. Uh, this is the 12th installment in our Gospel Clarity series. And um, uh, so in Romans chapter 1, we see that this, this letter that Paul writes for the believers in Rome was written about 57 AD. And this, this the letter that he write, uh, writes, uh, his intent is to share the gospel and to teach that righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. He then builds a case against the entire world that we are all guilty before God. Following on, we see that uh, uh, the text is crafted to rebuke and warn the Jews that living by the law and trusting in circumcision alone does not make you righteous in God's eyes. This comes as quite a shock to the uh, readers of this letter, but Paul stresses that by living by rules and regulations only brings condemnation and judgment. Paul concludes there that a Jew uh, is one that has experienced circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God. Continuing in Romans 3, discussion uh, that uh, both the Jews and the Gentiles are guilty before God. Paul explains that the law was powerless to give us righteousness. But righteousness is granted because of what God did by sending Jesus. He maintains um, the, that this righteousness comes by faith to all who believe in Christ Jesus apart from obeying the law. So that catches us up to speed until now. So let's go into verses uh, uh, 1 through 12 in chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been uh, circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that had, he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our, our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning with a single purpose to worship and honor you. I pray that we'll be attentive to your word. 
I'll also ask for your Holy Spirit to be among us this morning, such that we'll have an active conversation with you through your spirit. I also pray that through this conversation, that it would release uh, more information so that we can be more Christ-like, to be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Lord, have your way in us. We ask in Jesus' name. On September 17th, 1988. Why is that date so important? Well, because that's when Mr. Alexander Albertus Chapman Jr. was married to Miss Kathy Ann Chiborowski. That ceremony was performed in Washington, Pennsylvania, not too far from my childhood home. The ceremony was the beginning of our life as husband and wife, but it clearly wasn't the beginning of our relationship. See, our relationship actually started on a Friday the 13th. Um, and that previous year. So we were uh, both uh, resident advisors and we were going to a conference just 35 miles north of here in uh, Georgetown. That Friday was a bad day for me since I was actually completely disgusted with myself and the relationships I had with uh, uh, several women. You see, at that point in my life, I was a senior. And I thought I was gonna get married to this lovely lady who had graduated the uh, year before, but I wasn't faithful to her. As a matter of fact, I didn't know to have uh, a proper relationship with uh, women. And so while I was sitting on a van waiting for the bus behind us to load up, um, I was sitting with a friend of mine, Rob, and Rob and I were talking about my serious shortfalls, my sinful nature. And I said, Rob, listen, I'm not worthy to have a girlfriend or be around any girls. He goes, yeah, I know. It's like, oh man, that kind of stings coming from a friend, but it's truth. And I said, okay, Rob, this weekend, it's a time for me to clear my head. We're going away. And um, why don't we have a He-Man Woman Haters weekend? Now that term was lifted from the Little Rascals. Some of you maybe have seen that show. It's a classic uh, old black and white even uh, TV show. But that was the plan. And then Kate stepped onto the van. So that's how our story began. And, um, you know, this is one of those things where I have to give God the glory. You, you see, many of you know Kate and I, and you've seen us, right? You know our relationship. And if you know that, uh, or you've been around me for any length of time, you know that this is one of the major parts of my testimony. Because, quite frankly, without God, Kate and I would have never met. We would have never had the relationship that we have now. So I have to give glory to God for that one, and I am very thankful. You see, there's something about hearing stories like this on how a relationship gets formed that we listen to. Now, Kate and my relationship, it isn't anything to brag about in the big picture and the big scheme of things. But since many of you know us in our relationship, you can have an appreciation for you know, this story, right? which brings us to the text this morning. See, this morning we're gonna walk through our text to better understand our faith through the beginning of a relationship. This brings us to our first of three major points, right? The beginning of a relationship. Um, so our text starts off with, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So much like many of you who are familiar with my wife, um, uh, my wife and I, you started off with the sense of the story, and this is exactly what Paul's doing. He is going back to the beginning of the story of how it all got started, and he's using this as a reference, right? So 
Father Abraham, Abraham, formerly known as Abram, which means the father is exalted, his story begins back in Genesis. So this morning, we're going to go back to Genesis 12, uh, reading verses 1 and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, Paul's audience knows this story well. They know how God chose Abram and walked with him, and God even changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish nation. Abraham is also the forefather of our faith. He's a national figure, right? So this is much like we mentioning George Washington as the forefather of our country. Thus, when Abraham's name is mentioned, they recall this story, as well as the promises that go along with it. Their nation was built off of this promise. Not only that, but here we are centuries later, and we still refer back to Abraham. For God has kept his promise. He has made his name great, and he is also the uh, man of many nations. Now that Paul has their attention, he goes on to fashion an argument as to how Abraham was justified, which otherwise means was made right with God. Going on in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Meaning that he, Abraham, could not brag about being made right by what he has done, like the keeping of all the laws and ordinance that was given to him by God. But uh, this is not the case. As Paul continues in verse 3, and it comes down to the main root of our idea. Well, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, this was something that the Jewish people knew, but may have missed the distinction. They knew that God counted Abram's right, uh, belief as righteousness. See, this statement signified that belonging to God, to be made right with God, came through faith. Now, just for the record, this wasn't anything that Abraham could brag about because he didn't earn it. And how do we know he didn't earn it? Go back to Genesis. We'll be in verse uh, 10 and 12 of chapter, I mean, 10 through 20 of uh, chapter 12. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was so severe in the land, when he was about to enter Egypt, he, looked, he said to his wife, Sari, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, um, you're my sister. That it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman that was, and was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. For her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, 
female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with the great plagues because of Sari, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. You see, from this excerpt, we see that Abraham wasn't the bravest of souls. Some may say that he was a cunning genius, while others of us will call him a coward. But this isn't how we remember Abraham. Now, this is what makes Paul's next statement so rich. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. You see, if Abraham was able to keep the law, he would have deserved the righteousness and the right standing with God. But Abraham didn't. Dare I say, couldn't. So we see that his human failings, his flaws, got in the way with this relationship. This, this man, Abraham, couldn't be declared righteous by himself. Finishing the thought here. Or if this was based on Abraham's performance, his wages would have earned him death. Which is, you know, if the story stopped here, it's not much of a story. Which is bringing us to our second point, the blessings in a relationship. Now, if we go back to Kate and my story, we started out with like many young couples. We appreciated uh, each other and we talked about life and what we wanted to live and how we wanted to live. We talked about having children. Uh, I wanted two. He wanted a multiple more than that. Um, but uh, being that we were in the, the Marine Corps at the time, I said, uh, I don't think we'll have enough time for that. So we, we settled on Alex and Vic, and it wasn't settling. We were very blessed to have those two. But uh, continuing that blessing, we were stationed in so many beautiful places. Pensacola, Florida, Irvine, California, Taneyoe Bay. All those places have been beautiful, even here in the Washington, D.C. area. But all those blessings are temporary. So let's take a look at the blessing that Paul points out in verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Brothers and sisters, let's not miss out on these next few verses. The blessings of our faith rest in the understanding of who God is, who we are, and our responses back to him. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. We have this in our morning reading, and David is quoting here from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, Paul is continuing to uh, shed light on the blessings that come through a relationship through faith. He is now expressing the gift of grace. You know grace? Yeah, God's unmerited favor. See, Paul's audience also gets this uh, reference. My concern today, this day and age, we don't have an appreciation for this. And this is a key blessing. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
That means for all of us who claim Christ Jesus, we're covered. Blessed is the man who against whom the Lord will not count his sin means that we should know that anything we do that goes contrary to what God wants is sin. Our failings, our falling short, our deeds, our thoughts, our actions, our actions against God, our actions against our fellow man, these are all sin, and they come with a penalty. Now, if we sin against our fellow man such that we get caught, sometimes it's a jail sin. If we sin against our fellow man, God, those sins go unpunished. That penalty is eternal, which is the separation for God for eternity. That location is what we, uh, we understand is hell. Not designed for us, but for the demons themselves, but also a destination for those don't, that don't trust the Lord. Family, if we don't understand this part of our failings, we truly won't understand our blessings. Paul continues uh, here by expanding upon the conversation of these blessings in verses 9 and 10. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Okay, time for a little straight talk here. When you're preparing a sermon, I, I will tell you it takes hours. And I enjoy the preparation. As a matter of fact, it feels like I'm cheating you because I spent time in just researching and going. And I do know like our pastors, like Pastor Clint, Pastor Colby, we probably have this down to a science where it's a couple hours. But for when you're preparing for something like this, you want to know to the greatest amount of detail you can. But I got to tell you, you can't really do too many uh, web searches on circumcision. I want to let you know, just putting it out there. We debuted this message last week. We were out skiing, and I got a chance to deliver it to uh, um, our, our family friends. It was well-received, and at the end of the, uh, the time, I actually took questions and answers. And uh, Connor, uh, one of the young ones, 11 years old, raised his hand and said, Mr. Alex, what's circumcision? I said, okay. Didn't have a great answer then, but I have one now. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. The Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you nations and kings come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout generations for an everlasting covenant. Be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give, you, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh 
of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. This brings us to our third and final point, enduring symbols of a relationship. See, Genesis 17 points out the symbol of an everlasting relationship was the mark of the flesh from circumcision. See, in marriage, the lasting symbol is a wedding ring. For uh, Kate and me, uh, our plan is to honor our vows to death do us part. And see, there's an, an appreciation for an enduring relationship. This year, we will celebrate our 34th wedding anniversary. Yeah, right? Right? No, seriously. Give God the glory in this one because he deserves us. I don't because uh, I'm a train wreck. I'm, let's be frank with you. Um, but there was also a date that we celebrated too. March 3rd, 2011. And many of you are like, okay, what's the big deal of that one? Well, that was our crossover date. The day in which my wife had spent more time with her married name than her maiden name. This isn't to diminish her family name. This is more of a marker signifying the permanence of a relationship. Another symbol of an enduring relationship. So once again, in the big scheme of things, that's not that big of a deal. But Paul, our author, has so much more to say about this by stating that this justification by God's grace wasn't done after the physical act of circumcision. The comment disarmed you know, those who had used circumcision as a means of stating their faith with God. You see, being born a Jew met only some of the conditions of membership. Circumcision is a visible mark in the flesh. Now, this only pertained to the males of Abraham's family, wherein the male children were circumcised on the eighth day. See, this ordinance was passed down and kept generation after generation within their culture as much an, uh, as you would expect. But the, you know, the, the, the tag on the back of that was the uncircumcised were excluded and to be cut off from the covenant. This translated to so many things for those people. This is where the Jews felt, hey, I am better than everyone else because I have been circumcised. That was their, their badge of honor. And for those, those who are not circumcised, well, they were supposed to be cut off a broken covenant. So these rules, laws, and ordinances were known by the people and served as a point of contention when not followed. So when we get to verse 11, we see Paul's support for this argument has a great deal for us today. Verse 11 starts with, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that, had, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Talk about that. Earlier I mentioned that Kate and I were married on 17 September 1988, but the desire and intentions to marry her happened well before that. When we saw ourselves going down that road to making our relationship permanent, see, 
I did not put a ring on her finger then. As a matter of fact, I think if I would have tried to put a ring on her finger on that Friday the 13th, it would have probably ended up like a slasher movie, death to that relationship. But you see, just having a physical symbol doesn't mean that you have a relationship. Where this plays out this day and age is that our relationship with God cannot just be because of some religious effort. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Being involved in various ministries doesn't qualify you as a Christian. Being, involved, being born into a family where your parents are Christian does not convey Christianship to you. So bragging about circumcision surely won't qualify you as being made right with God. Now, I will tell you in my job, in my normal day-to-day -day activities, uh, I have the blessing of working with several folks from around this world. And this conversation came up with myself and uh, another one of my teammates uh, who happens to be from a European country. And we were talking about, you know, being a Christian. And if any of you know me, Jesus is going to come into the conversation at, at some point. As a matter of fact, it sometimes embarrasses my wife because when I walk into Sam's, as of like yesterday as an example, um, there's a person there to greet you and ask you about your cell phone plan. And after they ask me two questions, I ask them, do you know Jesus? <laughs> Are you a Christian? Right? You, you'll be amazed on sometimes the answers. But anyway, back to my European friend. We sat and we talked. And in that conversation, I was not getting the, the vibe that he actually understood what being a Christian was. I wasn't seeing any fruit from his life, and he really didn't have a testimony. So I asked him, I said, if you don't mind me asking, why do you believe you're a Christian? His response was, I pay my taxes. Uh, okay. I mean, I recall reading the Bible several times. I didn't know that was a qualification for becoming a Christian. But I, I asked, I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand. He goes, yes, our nation's a Christian. Are we, we live in a Christian nation. I pay my taxes, which allows me to go to the church to be married, as well as buried. I'm a Christian. So that provided me an ample time to share the gospel with him. But the point being is that sometimes we do not get the sense of what it is to be a Christian, accepting Christ for what he's done, acknowledging him for his lordship, acknowledging that he's the one who paid the price for our sins. The fact is, God was doing a work with Abraham that even before the seal of the covenant was placed upon Abraham, Abraham was justified. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. See, we have the same opportunity now. If we believe that God that he sent his son who had died for our sin, then our risen savior's death, burial, and resurrection pays for our sin, and we are truly blessed because of our sins are forgiven. See, if this is your proclamation today, <laughs> then we're gonna celebrate this, and we're gonna remember it here shortly at, at communion. But um, if it's not, then we're, we're definitely gonna have some work here, right? See, our belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is our only path to justification, which is being made right by God. So let's close here looking at verse 12. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, we need to see the promise here. The father of the circumcised, those who have been included into the family, but also who follow in the footstep of faith. 
meaning in believing God before the symbol itself. Friends, if you're sitting here today and you're not sure of this, we need to seek the Lord. We can go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and to tell him that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and that we cannot earn our way into his presence. Let today be your faith walk, the day where you begin your relationship established by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's be clear. This is the part of the gospel message that I don't want you to miss. You have to respond. And do know this. No. That answer is a response. So if you're willing to respond in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if this is something that you agree with and you want to remove that doubt, then I would ask that you join me in that prayer. See, in a moment um, after that prayer, we're going to take uh, some time to celebrate what Christ has done by doing communion with one another. This act of worship is for all Christ followers who have said yes to God and have accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So in a moment, our worship team will be coming up, leading us in worship. And if not, if you've not picked up the elements, they're located on the back table. So please get them while they're playing. Um, and uh, before we pray, I'm going to ask that everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. So join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, it is so good to know you. It is so good to know that you're at work well before time began and you had a perfect plan. Knowing that we are not perfect and have no ability to save ourselves, you honored the Father by coming here to live a, a sinless life, to provide insight about the kingdom, to demonstrate how to love and then to be obedient, obedient to the point of death by dying to reconcile us back to the Father. Heavenly Father, for all of us who believe in the atoning work of your Son, Jesus, we worship and praise you. For those who do not, I pray that they earnestly seek you. Now, keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed. For those uh, who are making a decision to follow Jesus, I'm just asking that you raise your head and raise your hand so that I can pray with you for you. continue in prayer. Dear Lord, for those that are doing business with you this morning, I recognize that you are powerful, holy, and sovereign. I recognize that I'm a sinner who has strayed away from you and your laws. For that, I am surely guilty and have no means of covering my guilt and shame. But you, O oh Lord, have provided a way, and it's the only way. Lord Jesus, I'm asking for you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe with my heart and confess with my lips that Jesus is Lord, that he has saved me from the penalty that I've earned by living in my disobedient way. Jesus will be the Lord of my life, and I will follow him. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.